I'm Julianne Delyn Hatton, and you're listening to Faith and Reason on the Mormon Faircast. This series will discuss the Prophet Joseph Smith and the authenticity of the gospel he restored. I'll be speaking with Michael R. Ash, author of the book of Faith and Reason, 80 Evidences Supporting the Prophet Joseph Smith. Good evening, Michael Ash. Hi, Julianne. I hope things are going well for you. They're going really well. Apparently, you've got a project for Meridian Magazine. Yeah, I write a column that's actually on Fair Mormon Blog as well as on Meridian. And uh, I don't have an exact schedule, but it runs at least once a month. And it's an ongoing series that I've entitled Letter to Former Missionary Companion. And it's a fictional discussion between two former missionary companions, one of whom has come across critical issues against his beliefs, and he's struggling. And the the missionary companion, Shane, who's writing to his, his friend, had gone through some similar struggles, and so he's given him advice and tips and, and uh, kind of discussing about some of the uh, supposedly difficult issues. And even though the, the storyline is fictional, they're real problems, and I've dealt with enough people close to me, some of them, and, and uh, people that have written me, that I know the feelings that people go through and some of the difficulties they have. I've actually gone through myself through some of these many years ago. And so that's the approach that I've taken. But by writing in in kind of a fictional manner, I don't have to involve anybody that uh, maybe doesn't want their name used. Plus, I can hone in on all the difficult and challenging issues. That's great. So you can find letters to a former missionary companion at Meridian Magazine or on the Fair Mormon blog. That's correct. Great. Okay, well, today we are talking about something really exciting, and that is the Tree of Life narrative. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, one of my favorite stories in the Book of Mormon. And there is so much information to pack in as well, and you cover it very well in your book of Faith and Reason. Thank you. Let's begin with the Tree of Life narrative that most people who have read the Book of Mormon remember very clearly. Yeah, this is when the Lehites are traveling through the Arabian Peninsula uh, before they journey to the New World. And in route, Lehi has his vision of the Tree of Life. And in this vision, he sees a man dressed in a white robe, and he's led to this dreary wasteland. And, and they travel for what seems like a long time, maybe hours in the darkness, and, and he comes across this big field, and he sees a, a tree off in the distance that has this white fruit that looks delicious to the soul, he, he points in, not just delicious to eat, but delicious to the soul. And so he wants his family to come and partake of the fruit, and he you know, waves to his sons and his wife, and uh, Laman and Lemuel, they, they wouldn't come to the uh, tree. And, and Lehi talks about some of the details he sees in here, and this is where we get a lot of unique Mormon symbolism. He sees this rod of iron, or as, as we in modern Mormonism call them, the iron rod, and he sees it along this bank of a river, and it leads to this tree of life, and it goes along this narrow and straight pathway, and he sees people that are following this pathway, and all of a sudden there's these mists of darkness, and you can kind of just envision this as a great story because you're on this pathway, and all of a sudden, you know, everybody's driven through fog or in the nighttime at some point in their life, and they come in mist of darkness, and some people grab a hold of this rod so they can feel their way through the darkness, and other people don't, and they fall off along the paths. 
And on the other side of the river, Lehigh sees this big building with well-dressed people, and uh, they're mocking those that take the fruit of the tree. And and uh, some people, they don't care. They just keep on eating the fruit. And others, they're ashamed all of a sudden, and they leave the tree and, and go join the people in the building. And they're, they're drowned in the river. So it's a very symbolic story for Latter-day Saints in many ways. And other talks by general authorities and scholars have, have taken on piece of these because it, it means, you know, we, of course— are taught that the scriptures are the uh, word of God, the iron rod that we hang on to, and you know we follow the prophets and stay on the straight and narrow, and all these other types of things. But from an old world perspective, there's some fascinating things that we learn as well. In your book, you talk about a couple of similar stories dating back to the time of Christ. Yeah, yeah, John Welch. Currently, he oversees the BYU studies, but he was also. Uh, the founder of FARMS, the Foundation for Ancient Research and Mormon Studies out of BYU that's now known as the Maxwell uh, Institute of Religious Scholarship. And John Welch, when he was at Duke University, he was attending the seminar on early Christian writings, and this professor that he was listening to is a non-LDS professor. He's talking about this little-known writing called the Narrative of Zosimus. And this narrative was written in Hebrew, and it dates back to at least the time of the Christ. But what's interesting is that even though the, the narrative dates back to this time, it claims to tell of a tale that took place even earlier, perhaps to Lehi's time. And Jack Welch talks about what this narrative is, is about, and it tells, he says, about a righteous family that God led out of Jerusalem prior to the Babylonians coming in and taking over in 600 B.C., and that they were led to a land of blessedness where they had these metal plates and they kept record on them. They were so soft they could inscribe on them with their fingernails. And in the story, Zosimus, who is the storyteller, but this uh, explained what's going on, he was allowed to visit these people in a vision. And in order to get to their land, he had to journey through this wilderness and, and pass through mists of darkness and across an ocean. And uh, he came to a tree that bore fruit, and, and it said that it was a sweet fruit, like uh, sweet as honey. So we see these obvious similarities between what is contained in the Book of Mormon as well as what's contained in the narrative of Zosimus. This was a narrative that was not known to any English-speaking people prior to the publication of the Book of Mormon. Let's go ahead and talk about some of the similarities between the two stories. They're dwelling in a desert. Mm -hmm. They're led by prayers and faith. Yes. There's the dark and dreary wasteland, banks of a river, mist. What else? Yeah, um, there's all these similarities and, and, of course, this fruit. And that eating and drinking this fruit, and, and also this fountain of living waters, that it filled the soul somehow. And of course, then he sees these record keepers on this soft metal, how they're, they're inscribing these things. And they see in a vision the Son of God, um, and the destruction of Jerusalem. And, and, and these people that are participating in this, they are righteous people. They're, they're a group that is following the practices of their day, the laws of God, including living law of chastity and constant prayer and revelations and so forth. So it's almost like Zosimus saw in vision the Lehites. Now you talk about two possibilities of why Lehi's dream would compare to this narrative of Zosimus. Did Lehi possibly make contact with others on his journey? Well, it's possible. He he went through this Arabian Peninsula, traveled there, and as we talked about previously, that you know there are these wide trails. But the whole 
purpose of having trails is to get from waterhole to waterhole. You, you had to have water to make it through the uh, desert. And these waterholes were guarded. And it almost seems impossible that he could have gone the entire distance without at least running into some people. So it's possible that he came across some people and then camped for a while and shared some stories and maybe shared his vision. So, so that's a possibility. Another possibility is that there's ancient sources or typology and symbols that influenced both Lehi's dream and the narrative. The, the thing is that when I have dreams, I dream about things that are at least somewhat familiar to my worldview and things that I understand. And so the symbols in Lehi's dream could have come from his environment, things that made sense in his world. And there's some evidence that the second one may possibly be true because we know now that there are many old world traditions that talk about the tree of life. And, and there are some similarities between some of these traditions. And many of these, by the way, date back to even the 5th century BC, so very near the time of the Lehites. But some of the symbols in these stories talk about the dead wandering through a world of darkness in search of a white cypress tree. And this is really one of the very fascinating ones that ties, I think, very closely into what we find in the Book of Mormon. Well, and certainly the Tree of Life. I mean, if you just type Tree of Life into your browser, things come up from all over the world. Yes. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a motif that extends or, or crosses boundaries in, in many different societies and, and uh, nations and even time frames. But what's interesting about the Book of Mormon ones is that there's other characteristics of the Tree of Life vision that closely resemble what we find from the ancient old world that Lehi would have come from. Many of the motifs that are unique to the Book of Mormon aren't really that unique once we examine the old world from where the Lehites would have come, and, and of course, especially the, the white cypress tree, that's really one of the most interesting ones. There's a British scholar by the name of Margaret Barker, and uh, she was a Methodist preacher and president of the Society for Old Testament Study. And she's written a lot about people of Lehi's day, and she has books about the temples and some of the beliefs and so forth. And she says that according to ancient traditions, the tree of life was to make one happy, and that the fruit on the tree is described as beautiful, fiery, and much like white grapes. And here's an interesting quote from her. She says that, quote, I do not know of any other source that describes the fruit as white grapes. Imagine my surprise when I read the account of Lehi's vision of the tree whose white fruit made one happy. That is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing parallel. And again, if it was the only parallel, you could say, well, again, lucky guess, it's just coincidence. But, but when all this stuff ties together, in fact... She made comment about the rod of iron. She says that typically in the in the Bible, when we read about the rod of iron, it's like a staff of rulership, and, and uh, that's how most people envision it. But uh, she thinks that a more ancient symbol ties to the rod as being like a staff of a shepherd, and it leads people. And she says Lehi's vision has the iron rod guiding people to the great tree, and she believes that this is the older and probably original understanding of the word rod. So, so she is defending the Book of Mormon's tie into the old world, even though she's not a Latter-day Saint. She, she has her own beliefs, and she doesn't know how to really explain this, but she does know that the Book of Mormon gets it right. Would Joseph Smith have possibly learned these things in his day? 
I can't see how because the the narrative of Zosimus was not available. Uh, first time it was printed uh, in a modern language was in Russian in 1870. It, it just is too much of a grasp to say that he could have garnered all these intimate details from sources and hit the nail on the head so many times. I, I think the more believable path is to accept his story on face value, that the Book of Mormon is an ancient text, and, and Lehi wrote about a real vision that he actually had. Well, let's close with Dr. Wilfred Griggs quote. Yeah, he's a professor of ancient scripture, and so he has a real knowledge in the background of uh, Tree of Life symbols and, and, and old world concepts of it. And he says that the symbol of that tree pervades the art and literature of every Mediterranean culture from centuries before the time of Lehi until well after the time of Moroni. This fact and the fact that Lehi and Nephi portrayed the spiritual meaning of that symbol much the same way other ancient cultures portrayed it demonstrate that the Book of Mormon is an ancient text, not an invention of the 19th century social milieu. Thank you, Michael Ash. Thank you, Julianne. Thanks for listening to Faith and Reason on the Mormon Faircast. I'm your host, Julianne DeLynn Hatton, inviting you to keep the faith. Michael R. Ash is the author of the book, Shaken Faith Syndrome, Strengthening One's Testimony in the Face of Criticism and Doubt, as well as the book of Faith and Reason, 80 Evidences Supporting the Prophet Joseph Smith. Faith and Reason is produced by Tom Hatton with music courtesy of Arthur Hatton. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of Fair Mormon or The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You can support this podcast by subscribing to it in iTunes and by rating it and writing a review. Questions or comments can be sent to podcast at fairmormon.org or you may join the conversation at fairblog.org. 